Welcome. We are the forgotten survivors of the sex industry. We are the spouses, partners, and exes of porn and or sex addicts. And together, we are the Butterfly Nation. I'm Allison. We're having a few technical difficulties right now. Um, Sandy's just trying to get on, but she's having some internet issues. So let's go ahead and start. So I'm Allison. I'm from the Butterfly Habit. I am an ex-partner of a sex and porn addict. And today, myself and hopefully Sandy are going to be talking to you. Uh, We're going to be exploring different treatment methods for sex addicts and different recovery systems for partners and ex-partners of sex addicts. There's so much contradicting, confusing information out there. Um, We think it's really imperative that we... We weed through all of this for you. Uh, we give you some true information on success rates and processes. And most importantly, we want to really empower you with knowledge, empower you so that you can protect yourselves from therapeutic re-traumatization. Now, I've talked about that before, and so has Sandy. Let's get a little bit more into that right now. What is it? What is therapeutic re-traumatization? Well, the first time I'd ever heard of this was when I was reading Dr. Omar Manwala's 13 Dimensions of Sex Addiction-Induced Trauma Among Partners and Spouses Impacted by Sex Addiction. Now, that is the best article that I've ever read on the partner experience. It is so validating, and it makes so much sense, and it looks at everything from so many different angles. It's actually mind-blowing. So that is available on my website at thebutterflyhabit.com. You can also just Google it. It's Dr. Omar Manwala's 13 Dimensions of Sex Addiction-Induced Trauma Among Partners and Spouses Impacted by Sex Addiction. So let's get into that. This is the 12th dimension, and he calls it treatment-induced trauma, okay? It's, uh, he created the term in 2011, and it's used to describe the symptoms in, cl- in a clinical context. So not just like the paper, if you, if you read it, which I really think you should, it's really um, directed towards the medical community. So there's a lot of kind of terminology in there. It's kind of hard to understand. But overall, you'll understand his, uh, his talking points and his research, and it is outstanding. So treatment-induced trauma itself includes the actual traumatic event in ther- that happens in therapy. So remember... We've said before, every single traumatic event in our experience as partners is a single traumatic event. It's not one huge long one. Every time a trauma happens to us, it's a new event. That's really important because it's clustered together and things happen over and over. But each of these experiences is separate and different, has a different impact on us, etc. So treatment-induced trauma includes the actual traumatic event and the trauma symptoms that result from it, okay? So it's not just about the actual event. It's what happens to us in our minds, in our bodies, in our souls from this. It is a treatment method or therapy or is counseling or coaching or is any type of kind of recovery program that causes harm to you, the partner. And that's also called a parallel re-injury. And the traumatic consequences that occur as a result, again, it's the incident itself and the results, okay? And this can occur, there's so many ways that this can occur. I mean, the stories that I hear about partners and uh, their experiences with different therapy methods, different um, recovery methods, blows my mind, you guys. Um, here's just a few examples, okay? So this, this can occur to partners. By, via gross emissions of information, psychological invalidation, 
like, oh, you just need to, you know, let him, let him be a man or, or whatever. I mean, it depends on the trauma treatment model that we're talking about, but there's a lot of invalidation that goes on to us partners always, as you all know, extreme misinformation, like what I just said, like, how about um, the every guy does it thing, right? Sandy's here. Hi, Sandy. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. I was having problems with my computer, so I apologize. Um, and uh, anyway, but I'm here now with you. Awesome. So, uh, thank you. Thank you for, awesome. for having me. Well, I'm just so happy you're here. We Together, we are the Butterfly Nation, uh, as I yes. mentioned in the very first part of this show. And this is a live show. So sometimes when technology gets in the way, there's nothing really we can do about it other than try to remain calm and try to keep on the air. Right, Sandy? Similar, similar to our relationship. <laughs> yes, right? That's yeah. a great, great, yeah. great, great comparison. Yeah. So I yeah. was just uh, talking a little bit about Dr. Omar Minwala's um, dimension number 12, which is the treatment-induced trauma, and which is yeah. a huge reason why we decided to go over this topic today, which is going to be talking about different recovery methods, both for the, um, the addict and the partner. And I was just going through a few different things that can occur in therapy, um, that can cause treatment-induced trauma. So a few that I haven't mentioned yet are definitely blame. And that you and I know we're going to talk about because whenever yeah. the word enabling is used, to me, yeah. that's another word for blame and it doesn't belong oh. anywhere near us. Or, or co-addict. Oh, yeah. Or Oh yeah, we, there's there's lots. Oh yeah, we're we're getting there. So, and the other one I was just gonna say is mislabeling, and that's exactly what you were just saying: co-addict, yeah. codependent, um, addict. All of those kind of labels are actually completely incorrect and psychologically damaging to us. So right. I do want to read a little bit of Dr. Omar Minwala's um, paper itself on from his. Uh, from I've mentioned it about 14 times and it's a really long name. So the 13, we're just going to call it from the 13 dimensions from now on. Mm-hmm. Um, but from dimension number 12, this is, this is one part of it. Okay. This is a direct quote. Often this dimension of trauma is caused by clinical interventions that are fundamentally organized around the traditional co-sex addiction model, otherwise known as COSA by Carnes in 1991 or single concept codependency, codependency model, which is also known as CODA, and other traditional interventions such as sex-positive therapy based in the omission of recognizing or treating at, or SATE, which is sex addiction-induced trauma, among partners. Many sex-positive counselors and educators will prescribe date nights or sex nights for traumatized and sexually abused partners and couples impacted by SATE, for example. To reach out for help and be let down or let go or hurt instead of helped is the of as of the utmost serious violations in both medicine and human ethics and attachment relationships to do no harm, which is from American Psychological Association in 2010. It is the serious diagnostic mislabeling well-established trauma symptoms, both PTSD and CPTSD. CPTSD is complex post-traumatic stress disorder, which Sandy will be able to tell us more about later as an addiction based in core wounds and propagated by a foundational psychology of gender-based violence inherited in the, inherent in the model that causes and inflicts damage and trauma to not only the partner, but also the addict, the couple, the children, the family system, and society at large. 
In fact, the traditional sex addiction treatment model, which promotes co-sex addiction as the primary clinical diagnosis and clinical paradigm for treating partners, is a collusion with perpetration that is harmonious with the exact perpetration of sex of the sex addict and sex addiction. Those are some bold statements, but they're all absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Very true. So, Sandy, just coming from that, can you maybe ex- – now, I want to reiterate, Sandy is uh, – why, why don't you tell us, Sandy, you are a specialist in trauma. I am a specialist in trauma. I am a registered psychotherapist with added education and credentials uh, for trauma, specialty in, in trauma-related uh, um, disorders, if you will, um, and trauma-related um, effects such as post-traumatic stress disorder or complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Would you be able to explain to us what the difference between those two things are? Yes. So a complex, um, well, let's start with PTSD. Uh, Post-traumatic stress disorder is exactly what the words state. It's after, and usually doesn't show up for about three months um, after, um, uh, an event, and it doesn't have to, to be, it, it used to be that it was where your life was threatened or a severe physical harm, where in, in fact that um, your life may be threatened. Now, post-traumatic stress can come from any traumatic event, such as having your belief system completely do uh, or, or be shot to hell, if you will, in a 180 such as what we've gone through as, as partners or ex-partners or people with porn or sex addiction. Believing that our partners are one way or one thing um, and finding out that there is so much betrayal and so many lies and so much deceit that has happened can cause the feeling of the post-traumatic stress. So, so, and it is a trauma. Like that's very much uh, you know, trauma-related. Um, the complex part of it is that it's chronic or long-term exposure to emotional trauma where the victim had uh, little or no control of which there was little or no hope of escape. So because we had no knowledge or very little knowledge um, and little control and little uh, ability, our power was taken by the behaviors of our partners it, it, that's why it becomes a, a long-term or a chronic or long-term exposure because Absolutely. things that we're having now we're look, we can look back on our, our, whether that's our entire life with our partner or for back for several years with our partner and those things that we either didn't realize um, were issues or were things. Now we realize that, um, that they are actually in fact red flags that adds Absolutely. to the complexity of the post-traumatic mm-hmm. stress. Right, because the okay. more you think about your past, mm-hmm. the more traumas that you unravel that you didn't know were traumas. Right, absolutely. Right? And, and these are all in the cases of domestic, emotional, physical, or sexual abuse. And know that it is emotional, physical, and sexual abuse if your partner is going out and having sex, physical sex, with other people, and coming home and having that, having sex with you, regardless of how involved that sex is, 
okay, mm-hmm. where, where it's unprotected. And, um, okay, you can't – how many people have you known have put uh, a condom on their tongue? Okay? Okay? okay. I'm, that I'm is just, a brilliant – Point. How many? Okay, so we can protect our, you know, or men can protect their genitals with a condom. How many, you know, what do females do to protect themselves, right? Have their partner right. wear a condom. Exactly. But we do not put condoms on tongues, but then that tongue can get a sexually transmitted disease. You know, that mouth or that, I mean, and you, you don't even have to have intercourse to get an STI. You can just be very close. But come then, to, you know, back home to your married, um, to, you know, to your wife or your spouse mm-hmm. um, and, and have any sort of sexual, you know, you can just be naked laying together, um, you know, touching and you can contract you know, that or contact, get that um, STI. So yeah. that without that knowledge, you are thinking that your, your, your spouse, your husband, your whomever, a boyfriend, a long-term relationship is monogamous and is you're the only sex partner and maybe they've even been tested before you got together. And so you have this full belief and full vulnerability. You have little control and they come home and, and have these things with you. It is emotional. It is physical abuse and it is sexual abuse. Absolutely. And you know what? I want to touch on something that's not really talked about much and I don't actually know um, if it would be defined as sexual abuse, but I know that it felt really, really, really wrong to me in my own experience. Okay. So when I was have, so I'm just going to reiterate, I had a sexless marriage for uh, ever um, that I had sex less than once a year at, by the end. But when discovery happened, we decided that we were going to try to start having sex. And of course, I didn't know really much about this at the time. This was the very beginning. I didn't really know much about sex addiction. All I knew is that I wanted him to want me. And so I would do anything to do that. So one of the things that I kind of clued into before we started trying to have sex, but after discovery, was that he never looked at me during sex. I always knew that, which is one of the reasons I stopped having sex with him. I just didn't, I just didn't think he was into it. Um, but what I realized was that he was having sex with my body, but he wasn't having sex with me. He was having sex with my body, but he was pretending I was someone else. Mm -hmm. And that I felt so incredibly defiled by that. I was just a vessel. And I don't know if that would be defined as sexual abuse or not, but it certainly felt horrible to me it was awful yes definitely emotional abuse yeah that's a really good point right um but most definitely i i can say the same um it it was it had been four years since uh well now so at that point of uh discovery day it had been three years since there had been any sort of um, of, of sex happening. Um, 
for myself or my relationship. And uh, that is also, that's another show I think we need to have on uh, intimacy anorexia. Intimacy oh, anorexia question. Sexual anorexia, definitely. Yeah. Um, but uh, definitely that, that is a thing. And even, even a couple of years before that, it was very few and far between. And even if it was, it was, it was fetish related or a fetish had been talked about. So again, just like you, Allison, um, I, I felt um, that it was literally sex happening. There was no emotion to it. There was no mm. intimacy to no. it. No. Yeah. Um, I felt definitely like an object that yes. I, I was just a vessel. Like I, yeah, My exactly. A vessel. vessel. I was not a person. I was a thing. I was um, a sex doll. Yes. I, it, it, it I I was just um, uh, I was just the vessel. I can't even yeah. say I was a sex doll. I was just the vessel for what was happening in the imagination. Um, exactly. So and, it's and, like our bodies didn't even matter that we were even there because right. we weren't there it, it to them. It wasn't. That's right. It wasn't us. It wasn't me. It wasn't. It was just that my body was a vessel, and yeah. that. Yet. And that's a component of both emotional and sexual abuse. Um, yeah, and I, I'm going to raise it. I'm going to I'm going to drop a big word here, and I don't want to trigger anyone, but this is going to be a big uh, question. It's not necessarily a question directly to you, Sandy. It's more a question I'm putting out there to the universe. Um, I don't know if there's an answer to this question, but it's a big one. So I want to prepare everyone. This could be this could um, this could be uh, this could be a trauma trigger question but my question and this is I'm it's coming out because it's how I felt but I didn't know how really like okay I'm just gonna ask it I was one I was wondering when I was going through all this this little question would pop in the up in the back of my head sex is supposed to be consensual if I had known before discovery at the very beginning Right at the beginning of my relationship, when he was when he started not looking at me and only wanted me up from behind, if all of that, if I had known that, I wouldn't have had sex with him. Therefore, I was having sex under false conditions. Mm-hmm. Therefore, is that a form? Now, a, a form, a very soft of? form, a form of rape. That's a good question because. It was not, I didn't know what was happening. So I wasn't consenting. I didn't consent to my body being used for that until after mm-hmm. discovery, mm-hmm. which was another just horrible story. But I, I often wondered that. Did you ever wonder anything like that, Sandy? Did you ever kind of think uh, about that kind of stuff? Yes. In a way, because, again, of the fetishes that were involved um, in 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 my prior relationship was um and I have heard this from other other partners or ex partners it um is that they felt they owed the person because they were made to feel that they owed them that it was something that they were supposed to do for one reason or another okay. or that they were manipulated in um so this is another that I have heard manipulated in that if they didn't agree, so didn't do what they what their husband or, or 
boyfriend wanted them to do, mm-hmm. they wouldn't be talked to for two Ooh. or three days. If and you they hold that thought for one second, Sandy, sure. we've got a caller. Absolutely. Let's let's oh. welcome the caller and then get back to that. Hi there. Hi. Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah absolutely. Hello, caller. Hi. How are you? How are you? I'm listening to the show, and you guys are nailing it. It is so dead on when you're talking about the sexual anorexia, and I mean, I've lived it. I've lived through the shunning, the mind games, the withdrawal, and you're thinking, what is wrong with me? Why doesn't he want me? And then you start thinking, well, I've always been very comfortable with my own body and my sexuality, and I... To truthfully speak, I brought more to the table as far as funding excitement. He was always kind of shy, but I didn't know right. that he had this right. problem. And yeah. it was about 16 months ago, and I discovered we've been together for 13 years. And wow. I can say, I can look back now and say when he started to pull away. Yes. Yeah, I can as well. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it's, it's noticeable. It's, it is. It, it's like a slow process when you're doing it and you're living it. You don't realize it, but then you can go back now and look at the pieces and put it together. And I say that he has a, what they call like a Madonna whore syndrome. Yes. Because you can tell exactly. I remember he made comments when my granddaughter was born and she was with us a lot. And that was eight years ago, and he made the comment a few times that you're spending so much time with that baby. And I don't know if he started seeing me in a different, like, view or a nurturer. And he has compared things, you know, we've been in therapy now for for the past 16 months, and and he's even said to the therapist that part of why he fell in love with me is because I was such a great mom, I was a nurturer, I had all the qualities his mom had. And it, it, all of these things are just flooding in, listening to you guys. And it's like, it, it makes, it, it's, it's like reality is more bizarre than fiction. And you don't understand totally. it unless you've lived it. Yeah. So, so uh, caller, let me ask you this. Because this was, this was my experience. Upon finding out that there was an actual thing, as in there was both a porn and sex addiction. And by the way, porn addiction, even on its own, is still a sex addiction, yeah. just, just yeah. so we get that uh, clear. Yeah. But it was upon finding out and after the initial shock, after a few days, I had a sense of relief that once I, I found out about that intimacy anorexia or sexual anorexia was a thing that it was like, oh my God, it has nothing to do with me. It's not it me. Was all of the light bulbs in your brain start going off and you're like, yes. oh my God, how did yes. I miss it? Then you go yes. from you go yes. from being completely broken and destroyed inside and hurt and scared to death mm-hmm. to rage and resentment and anger. Like why yes. couldn't you how did I not? He was doing these things at work all day long. I mean, and, and he's also a hoarder, so there's so many things that I'm constantly finding. Wow. And I just, it's just like the floodgates opened, and I'm remembering moments and times and conversations, and, and I mean, I knew 
I knew a few years into our relationship that he, he he's a narcissist. Mm-hmm. And I right. understand that, and I was dealing with that, and it was it was manageable. I mean, because I love him. I mm-hmm. still love him. I don't yeah. right now. I love him. It was manageable. But this has put it over the top that I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I have drawn my line in the sand as far as what I'm expecting, and he has a timeline. <clears throat> but I could not. So, have what drawn are you expecting? What is your kind of? It sounds like you've set up some sort of a boundary to protect yourself. What What is that? My boundary is we've been through counseling, and he's doing a program. I did the program. I completed the program. He's still doing his. He drags his feet. There is mm-hmm. zero transparency, and I'm still completely shut out. And he's wow. not being on the program of what he's actually doing or what he's done. And because of his hoarding, <clears throat> I'm sorry, my throat. I no worries. Find these. I find these things, and I'm standing here, and I'm holding it in my hand, and I'm looking at it, and it's his own handwriting and his own passwords and his own creative profiles, and and he's going, I don't know how that got there. I didn't do that. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's it, it, it's the lies, and that the is the hardest part. It's the lies, and I have, I I I I'm angry with him because I didn't even know there was a such thing as porn addiction. No, uh, I mean, me I've never been in, uh, this is my second marriage, my ex-husband. Mm-hmm. I mean, he every once in a while, but it was nothing. He was, there was none of this stuff. We had a working physical relationship. We just, he was just a jerk and we got divorced. Right. But this is like, it is so bizarre. And I, when I met my husband now, when we first met, we got to know each other almost two years before we became involved. And I know from the narcissism now that he was mirroring me as far as my ideals, my values, my because he was just this perfect knight in shining armor. And this right. is, I, believe, I believe I have actually trauma bonded with him because he was that rescuer. He was mm-hmm. so kind. He did all the things that, like a fairy tale. And he's also now become the person who has completely ripped my guts out. Right. So yeah. it's just back and forth. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you mentioned that you've gone through a program. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think that you've benefited from that program? I believe I benefited from it as far as learning like some coping skills and communication skills and skills specifically just for me to when I get triggered to stop myself and just stop, take a moment and breathe and to not just get sucked. I keep, I always say I've learned to observe, don't absorb, just, just observe. Observe, and don't absorb. Ooh, nice. Yes. Oh, very good. Very good. Because when you're, when you're in the gaslighting moment, if you can consciously tell yourself in your head, observe, don't absorb, you, after you do it a few times, I I found that it works for me. That way, I don't get sucked into it, and I don't yeah. lose what yeah. the issue at hand. I can stand there and I can repeat myself, "No, I'm not. I'm listening to you," or "No, this is not what we're talking about," or "No, you're yeah. not going to do this," or I'll say, "You know, yes, I understand. That's how you feel." 
but I reject that. I'm not taking that. I'm not, I'm not taking that. No, I don't accept that. Wow, good for you. Oh, That's husband. huge. So, so Carla, I'm going to ask you how about your, your husband's program and about um, you, um, how do you respond to your, to your husband, uh, to his behavior or non-behavior or activities or, um, uh, you know, with him going through his program? When you said you don't know well, that he's telling the truth in his program, um, how, do, how do you deal with that? I, 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 if that's a very kind of touching situation because his program, um, I have been completely shut out. And there is a lot of manipulation by him. Yes, yes. That quite when I bring when I bring the information to his accountability partner, which is his person who's giving him his program, mm-hmm. I get dismissed and say, say that oh well she's she has exasperated all of her searches or she's and it's very frustrating for her because she's addicted to your addiction and that oh. right there is huge. <laughs> insult it's like a kick yes. in the gut yeah because I, yes. I felt that this person could would see through this and was my my hail mary pass with right. the program right and it's but you know with privacy things and i i just literally am out here on my own as far as i don't know what his covering yeah. and with so, so, involved so here's here's the thing that I, I think is very, very important for, for partners to understand is that I know that I'm a professional in the field and I take it, confidentiality very, very seriously mm-hmm. um, because a person needs to feel safe in their therapy or, and with their therapist that they can share whatever they need to share in order to process whatever needs to be processed and develop those skills and techniques for coping and for moving on and growing and changing. And so I, I'm very, I, I'm very, very um, uh, adamant about that confidentiality. Having said that, because sex addiction affects the family, but especially the partner, so incredibly greatly in betrayal, there needs to be some sort of communication from our, our, you know, the part, like our husband or spouse or uh, not from the therapist. The therapist does not need to, to bre- breach confidentiality. But from the partner to, to say, you know what, I've had a trigger, but this is what I did. We don't even have to say what the trigger is, how to trigger, and this is how I coped. Just so we know that there is some growth. There is Absolutely. Right? And I would say, too, that, Sandy, what you're mentioning right now is a great objective sign of true recovery. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's that we, we, as partners, we need to feel that we are a part of not necessarily their recovery, but at the recovery of, our, of the relationship. And how do we yes. do that when there is so much secrecy and so much um, hidden it, there was already that that's part of our betrayal, right? There was already so many secrets and so much hidden. Um, you, 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 you feel like you know, like I feel like the past thirteen years was a lie. It, yes, it was. It, yes, yeah. I was. I was thirty-four <laughs> years. I was thirty-four yeah. years with with my with my ex, and, and I was also thirteen years caller. Yeah. And, and, and yes, yeah. 
And honestly, it was a lie. I I believe that the entire time was a lie because, and and the reason I say this is because how can someone truthfully make a commitment and say marriage vows with everything mm-hmm. in them, with with living their truth, if that wasn't their truth? Caller, exactly. what do you think when you when you look back on your wedding day, for example? Because I know I see mine. Like I feel like I was I've never actually been married. Um. I've, uh, yeah. Nobody's ever really I mean, actually committed to me. How do you feel when you look um, back on your wedding day? Well, I mean, I feel, I know he loves me. I know he loves me. And he wants our marriage to work. But he guards, he has placed his secrets higher than right. me. Yes. yes. Right. And that's such a betrayal because I was always yeah. so open. And mm-hmm. I, I just literally, I feel like at the moment, I mean, I, I'm a lot stronger than I was, let's say, six months ago. Mm-hmm. But I still have my moments when I get really down. I feel like I am mourning the death of my spouse. Yes, absolutely. And, and you, you, you absolutely are. What you're mourning, and, and it is deep mourning, and that's another component of the trauma, it mm-hmm. is deep grief of the person that the person you thought you knew has died. Because he didn't because have this other person. That's right. Because the mm-hmm. person who you found out they really are is the person that is, you know, in front of you. Uh, and and yes. going through all of these things. One of the things I'm going to add here just about, uh, because we tend to focus on our, our partners or ex-partners recovery, um, and, and when they shut us out, it furthers our betrayal and furthers our, our how we're unsafe. One of it's the things tra- that we need, it is traumatizing. Yeah, it is traumatizing. One of the things that, that we need to do for ourselves is about detach. We, we must detach. And the reason we must detach is detachment allows us to let go of our obsession with another's behavior and begin mm-hmm. to lead happier and more manageable lives, lives that are with dignity and rights and have boundaries. And when we do that, when we truly start to focus solely on ourselves and if there's children involved of course the children but when we start Mm -hmm. to focus truly on ourselves and our own growth that is where we can then uh, when when we have that healing happening in us and our own growth and our own strength developing a greater strength because my god we have to be strong already to, to you know to 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 even want to uh, even think about continuing the relationship, okay? So we mm-hmm. have to be that way already. Um, mm-hmm. is, is that detachment is not saying you don't care what your partner or your husband is doing, is, but it's saying I'm going to focus on me. And if they're going to share, they're going to share. And if they're not going to share, that's something I need to consider. Is that a boundary for me? You have to, like, I'm I'm getting better at letting go of expectations yes. of what I push on to him in my mind. I'm thinking, well, I do this for him. I tell him I'm yes. open yes. to communicate. And what I get is incomplete communication. Right. And gaps, that big is gaps. Really, that is really the hardest thing that I deal with is because I feel so disappointed 
And it's a very unloved feeling because it makes me feel very unsafe. And it's like I'm waiting for the other shoe to fall constantly. Yeah, always, always. Constant discovery. And and I'm pretty savvy. I mean, I can figure things out. I can get a hold of devices, and and it's right there in front of me. And as I'm looking at it, and I ask him, and he and he's through therapy. We've been with the therapist for 16 months. He has been sitting right next to me, and I'll say, you have these emails. Why were you emailing escorts? Oh, I never did that. I pull it out of my bag. I printed them right. out. And mm-hmm. I, I was just looking, collecting pictures. Well, no, you, of course, you were responded. You were driving to me. It's like, then he goes, I never showed up. It's just the constant lies. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, yeah. really, you want to shake them and smack them. Because it's like, I'm, don't lie to me. I'm here. I'm still here. And that's one of the things that's so confusing is because we can present, like, this is, we have, like, actual evidence. This is not, this is not arguable, yet still they'll try to twist it. Still they'll lie. Still they'll manipulate. I mean, you can't be more factual than than what you were doing, showing him printouts of the actual emails. Like, there's, how, that's impossible to deny, yet they still deny it. It, Mm -hmm. It's so frustrating because, and that's what makes me feel unloved. It's like, I'm here. I'm still here for you. I'm educating myself. Mm-hmm. I'm trying for you. I'm trying to fight for us. I'm trying to be empathetic. It is an addiction. Let's work on it. Let's fix it. But I need honesty. And But he keeps lying. Every t- I swear, every time he I catch him in a lie, I feel like he's ripped another chunk of my heart away that right. I can't get back. Right. It, yeah. it killed. And yeah. It's yeah. like a weed killer on a rose bush. Every little branch just slowly dies. Yeah. Color. Yeah. I, I want to, I just want to just stop and, and just for one moment and just, just say to you, I am so sorry. I am so sorry that you have experienced this, that you are Thank going you. through this. And that this is causing such trauma in your life. You don't deserve it. You deserve to be loved, to be respected, and to be treated with dignity and and honor. And I'm so sorry that that's not your life right now. Thank you. Thank you very much. And you know what? You, You deserve the truth that you're after. And it's hard to wrap our heads around sometimes that it's, it may never happen. And that's the hardest point, that I expect the honesty. It's like I keep telling, hopefully some of the things I have in my head you didn't do. I mean, like mm-hmm. I raised my children when they were born. It's like they're going to do this, 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 and this. Oh, it's going to be, oh. And then I told myself when they're grown, if they didn't do this and that, hey, it wasn't so bad. They didn't do this mm-hmm. and that. I threw it. I did good. I'm willing to work with him. I, mm-hmm. If he did do the escorts things and mm-hmm. all, if he did have an actual physical relationship, I'm still here. I'm looking at what I'm looking at, and it that clearly is what it's telling me, but I'm mm-hmm. still here. Mm-hmm. I need him to come clean, and this is where I finally got to the point where I said, this is it. My boundary is when he's finished with this program, he is going to have to take a polygraph test. And we're searching for one that specializes in it for the sex edition 
I, the last thing I want is for him to fail it. I want mm-hmm. they that they work with him and they work on disclosures with him and they try to pull it all out so that it's out. But his choices are he's either going to refuse to take it and then it's done. I'm not that this will be clarity to me. I need the polygraph. I need it because it will never, it will allow me to never look back and second guess myself. And I don't want him to fail. So here's, here's the thing. A polygraph may or may not um, give you what you need. It may or may not. If you assume, if you assume the worst that he had, so what, what would be the worst in that case scenario? What would be the worst? The worst would be if he was seeking out and seeing escorts. Okay. And if he had a co-relationship with someone. Now, okay. what I'm looking at, what I'm looking at in my mind, I'm convinced he did. Okay. And right. I'm still here. And I'm still here. I right. just need. He needs to prove to me that he has, he owns his stuff, that he can own up to it. Right. And until he does that, right. I feel like I'm going to keep living this lie, and it's not fair to me. I deserve better. Okay. It's, right. not, it's just okay. it's emotional abuse. It's, it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the, so the underlying of that is what you need for him, rather than you finding out, uh, or validating what your worst thoughts or fears are that he's had, the likelihood is the likelihood is is that that's a patent. Okay. Oh, I'm I not. I don't. It. Right. Okay. So whether it actually has or hasn't, because that is your gut feeling, we're going to go with it's happened. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What you're looking for from him is the validation and the ownership. Yes, that's happened, and I am so sorry, and I will never do it again. That's what you're looking for from him. Exactly, yes. How how will you know? So even if he takes a polygraph, how will you know that he's not doing it again? What, What behaviors are you going to need to see to transparency, to you. Uh, yeah. Time, I think that if we can get, if we can crack this nut open, mm-hmm. and we get past it, just yeah. be admitting. Yeah. Um, it will be. I know. I will be like Hawkeye, watching behaviors, and mm-hmm. a lot of it is physical behavior. You yeah. know, the anorexia with intimacy, yeah. non-touching. And mm-hmm. because for so long after we started pulling away, our sex life became, it just started slowly just going away. And it became something to where when we were intimate, it was not actual intercourse. It was him touching me or, you know, manipulating mm-hmm. me with his hands. And, yeah. right. and, that, and I, I, I remember at the times it was like, this is not right. But it was like, okay, I chalked it up to he's a smoker. He's a little bit older than me. Just stress and things mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and yeah we'll always do that for these things and and it his ego is very fragile yeah. i have to be careful yeah yeah mm-hmm. i was compassionate about it and then come to find out now you know 16 months ago he had prescriptions for those things but he wasn't using them with me because we weren't mm-hmm. having sex mm-hmm. so it's just this what was he using them for i don't know 
It, it, right. It's the unknown. I don't fear the known. I don't fear the truth. I fear the unknown. Yeah. Right. And I, yes. I see that now and I'm like, I'm not going to live the unknown anymore. You've got this time limit. And I don't want the details with, right. I mean, I've done the research on the polygraph and I just basically want to ask like four questions. Simple. They're they're black and white. They're very black and white. And yeah. my understanding that what I understand how it works that if he if it's inconclusive, it says he's still hiding. He's not right. He's withholding information. Yeah. And then what's your plan if that happens? Well, I guess you can take it. They they give you one, and then you can fail it, and then they draw more out. It's like a process of two or three step process. Mm-hmm. It's like multiple. And I'm, I want to work through it, see it to the end to get, and once it's to the end, if he's still withholding, that is my exit stage right, because wow. I can't live with this anymore. Wow. Mm-hmm. And that, that sounds that's like... so scary. It is very scary for me to say that, because as far as, you know, I I can't get these 13 years back. I can't. That's right. But I don't. I don't want to live another 13 years in this realm of, like, walking around like a landmine went off in a day. Right. Right. And that's so important, and it's so incredibly powerful that you've you've addressed that within yourself, and you understand that within yourself, and yes. that you know that you have the power within yourself to stop this from happening, whether it be uh, through recover, further recovery or whether it be through you've done everything you can and he's not, yeah. he's not cooperating and that's not okay. And it's no. not okay for you to be so hurt so much, so, so often all the time. It's not fair. And, and to understand that you're worth more than that is, is paramount to your own recovery from this because you are worth yeah. more than that. Mm-hmm. I, you I are. know you and it does make me feel powerful to, you to speak my truth, yes, and mm-hmm. to go no more. This is it. This is it. And it also, in a way, what down the road when this happens, it's also a way for me to say, look, it's going to force him to see himself that he either, like I said, he's either not going to do it or he's going to do it. And we'll see how it goes. But it could be something that he's looking in the mirror and he can say, you know what? I got to look at myself. I gave, she gave it everything she had and he blew it. And you'll also be able to walk away from this with no regrets because you'll know within yeah. yourself there's no question. There will be no question. Because of the years of, like I said, the narcissism, that, mm-hmm. that plays huge role and where you, you lose yourself. You're like the frog in the cooker. You slowly get cooked and you don't realize to jump out. And then right, right. you're already cooked. don't realize it. And then you have to start picking up the pieces and then the isolation. And it's just that I, I do have a, a support system and I'm not, I'm not afraid anymore. I don't feel afraid. I feel more emboldened. I'm not, I don't cry all the time anymore. Wow. I don't know if that has to do with the or just numbing or what, but it's like, you know what? You, he can't hurt me. He can't eat me. He can't hurt me anymore. He can't. I'm my own person. I'm a strong person. I'm a nice person. Mm-hmm. Clearly, you're very person. strong, and clearly, you're very nice. So I agree. <laughs> yeah, thank you. 
Yeah. But I just, I'm tired of being too nice. I'm tired yeah. of not being nice to myself. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and this is, this may be the first time in your life that you need to really put yourself first. Oh, it is. It really? is. I got married yeah. really young with my first marriage and my children are now, you know, one's in his thirties and early thirties and the other one's right behind him. And I have grandchildren and it's just, I've always done for others and taking care. I'm the one that when something happens, I'm the one that gets the call in the middle of the night. Oh my God, what am I going to do? Yeah. And I, I've always been on that autopilot, like waiting to help someone else. What's going right. to happen? Yeah. And then I put yeah. myself on the back burner. But I'm not doing yeah. that anymore. Yeah. Awesome. Good for you. Good for Good you. Good for you. That's yeah. fantastic. Well, That's fantastic. Thank you so much for calling. We've got 10 minutes left in the show. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about today? No, I Caller? just was listening to you guys, and I just thought I would chime in. And thank you for taking the call. Yeah. It was a great experience. And thank I love you, you guys so much. Show. Yeah, thank you, you so you, much. You know, sharing our own experiences with each other and talking about them empowers all of us. Yeah. So thank it's, you so much. Okay. Yes, well, thank, thank you, caller. You. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Take care of yourself. Yes, Bye. always. Well, that was great. That was so great was, to hear from someone. That was wonderful. And and thank you, caller, for calling in. And, and I just want to say just to all of you partners out there, um, self-care is vital, is, uh, is the first line of defense for yourself uh, in, in dealing with this trauma is looking after you, looking after absolutely. yourself and, and making I think that yourself our caller, a priority. Absolutely. I think our caller was a great example of that. I mean, yes. we could hear the strength coming from her. She was she was vibrating this strength, and she said herself, mm-hmm. she had started focusing on her, and that's so important for all yes. of us to do. And I think it's, she's a great example of what you can achieve when you start doing that. Yes, it definitely is a very painful, painful process, a very painful discovery, uh, and as we said, traumatic, uh, very, very painful and traumatic, and. Um, um, it, it's that that process. You really need to incorporate yourself in there. You really need to incorporate making you a priority, um, and uh, and looking after yourself. Absolutely, and and yeah. I think we can kind of go back and tie this into the subject of today, which we're going to cover now, which is a uh, different different uh, treatment methods and recovery methods for us and and what sandy you're saying right now about about self-care is is a huge component and it's often ignored um mm-hmm. by by different treatment methods different recovery methods because yeah. so much of it so much so many different um recovery methods are so focused on the addict that it's like we're like this little sideshow and we can just go sit in the corner and we don't have to know anything and, and we don't have to, you know, or we're like, we're an addict. And so, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's to the point that it it actually, that's why I became a coach in this because I am not willing to stand by and watch women be railroaded and driven right over with a steamroller anymore because we are all worth Absolutely. We, Everything. We are. We yes. Yes. We are worth it. We are worth being healthy. We're, we are worth being happy. And, uh, and so on that note, um, Allison, I'm going to just state uh, again, both Allison and myself, Sandy, are 
a certified coaches in the mindful habit system. And, and I urge you to check out the mindful habit online. Um, and uh, one of those things that you can grab from going on to the mindful habit is, uh, and just Google it, the mindful habit, and it'll come up is, um, there's a partner survival guide. And I know for at the beginning, this was my lifeline and, and it's very, my copy, I printed it all and it's very dog-eared because I just went through it and went through it and went through it. Um, and, and, and I think there are many different techniques and, or uh, programs out there for helping people with porn and sex addiction, the mindful habit being one of them, but there's very little to nothing for partners. And, That's right. And um, I just want to, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, Sandy. Right. And, and it's, 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 it's repetitive abuse of us to not have that stuff available. So she's right. Google the mindful habit. Um, my website, the butterfly habit is also aimed. My website is aimed directly at partners. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll be able to find information there as well. Yeah. Um, some good resources there. Yeah. And uh, my, my, my website. Sorry, my website is empowering counseling with two L's dot uh, CA. And as well, uh, I have uh, services there for helping partners or ex-partners um, too, uh, because I am a registered psychotherapist and, uh, and a trauma specialist. I, ha- I, I deal with all kinds of issues, um, inclu- including post-traumatic stress disorder. So there's a number of things that I do too, um, but we do, Allison and I both focus on the mindful habit system because we are just very much a proponent of it and knowing that this addiction is not a disease. It is not a, you know, we do not follow the disease model. We follow the habit model. And That's um, right. And I think we have, we have about five minutes left, so I think we need to do a quick run-through of the different uh, models that are out there as promised to our guests in the description. So, yes. so Zandi's talking right now about the disease model. The disease model is based on Alcoholics Anonymous, and the disease model is very, very famous for having the partner be a co-addict or an addict. The disease yes. model is the most ineffective of all treatment programs by a landslide. It removes all power from the addict because they now have a disease and they can't help it. It's not their fault. And it also paints the partner as an addict. And that is absolute not reality. The the efficacy of the 12-step program, which is, like I said, or like Allison said, based on the uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, is uh, anywhere from 8 to 24%. I even Um, read today that it was under 5 so it's like well, it, it it could be. It's I know I'm getting that from um, Craig Para, who is the founder of the Mindful Habit Foundation, is the eight to twenty four percent. So I I, um, I I you know we can all do the research on that and and. Mm. That there isn't a high efficacy in the 12 step. Um, the very first step says you are powerless over the disease, yeah. and, um, and and I I say f that because yeah. we have to take our power. We as soon as we know what it is, some do, may not know it's an it's an addiction or an affliction um, that they can stop it at any time, but then they can't stop. That's when they go. It, it's a disease, and it and and it becomes an excuse. A disease becomes an excuse. Know that right. a disease happens, such as diabetes or cancer. Disease happens yeah. not by choice. Exactly. An addiction happens by always choice. by choice. Every always time. Every time. By choice. 
And, and every time they do the behavior, whatever that is, take a drink, watch porn, act out with another person sexually, it's choice. It absolutely. may be a subconscious choice, but a choice nonetheless. And, and it's right. because it's habitual, you know, it has to be done for a certain period of time to become anything we do for, to become a habit. So that means it's always a conscious choice for, for quite some time before it's the habit-based model. Absolutely. You're absolutely right, Sandy. And, and I cannot stress enough, if any of you have been told that you are addicts or co-addicts, you are not. Yeah. You are not an addict. You are safety-seeking. The ground yeah. has been ripped out from under you. You're experiencing extreme levels of trauma. And one of our responses is to put that ground back under us. We are grasping at anything we can to try to reestablish a sense of safety, which is a basic human need. This is not an addiction guys. Okay. You are not addicted. And it's, you're not finding safety where once you had found safety in that person, you would be with that person if you didn't feel safe with them. At some point, so, yeah. Yes. So you're grasping onto yes. what you know or what you think you know. Yes, That's a yes. normal trauma response. Yes. Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add a quick fact that I heard the other day. So I was talking to a firefighter, and we were talking about exit signs in restaurants and where they're placed. Um, now, here, I want you guys to link this to our traumas, okay? So he told me that he learned in school for firefighters, I don't remember what that's called, that 95% of the people who are in a fire, if the building starts on fire, 95% are going to go back to the place that they came in because that's the one that they know and that's the one that they want to go to. They will pass other exits. They will run through fire. They will die trying to get to the original door that they came in. Okay? They will die. People die because they are, our brains so automatically go to what we know in a moment of trauma. And I want you to kind of think about that. People lose their lives all the time because of that. They run by exits. Because they, they're going to the one they would know. Okay? So that was huge to me when I learned that. I really, I really paralleled that to us. And I think it says a lot. Now, we only have about 30 seconds left. So we're going to have to hold off on getting into the Carnes model um, and other models of recovery until next week. Thank you so much for, for calling in. The caller that called, that was fantastic. We really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, and we welcome you all the time. All of you, please give us a call. Let's talk about it. Let's share our stories. Let's empower ourselves together. So, yeah. thank you, everyone. Are, thank you. Yeah, we are going to be continuing this next week. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Have a beautiful week and practice self care, ladies, all the time. Yes, yes. Practice self care. You are worth it. You are worth it.